Listening to the football show on Wolverine. This is Extra Time. You're listening to the football show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to River Radio. It's seven o'clock and time for the station's resident football show. Joining me tonight is our regular panel of Ben Green and Ed Tolton. I'm Will Taylor, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week we talk the frantic final day of the Premier League season, the Champions League final in Paris and the remaining Football League playoffs. All that and much more to come on tonight's episode of Extra Time. Yes, hello and welcome to this week's episode, River Radio, 7 o'clock. It's, of course, time for extra time here. Uh, the football season is very nearing completion, but there's still lots to talk about. All of it in the company, of course, of our regular panellists, who are ev- who are as ready as ever to tackle whatever we throw at them over the next hour. Gentlemen, it's great to see you as ever. I hope you're both well. And what I should really ask is, are you both recovering from your very different, but still, you know, injuries, I guess? Uh, no, not really. Well, um, <laughs> don't know about Ed, but I'm definitely still sore. We'll come to you, mate. We'll come to you first. Actually, how, how is the hand without without doing my best hot fuzz impression? How yeah, is the it's, hand? Uh, it's, yeah. it's not bad. It's still a bit stiff. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I had I had some I had some stitches out today. Not all of them. Um, so that's going to be a, a, sort of a bit like my own personal bubble wrap. Later, I can pretend okay. that I'm a doctor and, yeah. and take maybe some some more of those out because they're not they're meant to dissolve and they haven't. They haven't. So, yeah. so they're just sort of there. Like, literally, my hand looks like it's Frankenstein's. Okay, it does. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad, glad, I'm glad, I'm yeah. glad it's an audio <laughs> program. That's also green. Yes. Um, <laughs> gradually on the men. Thank you for asking. Um, ben, what about, what about you? Yeah, I was okay until I turned up this evening and you, and you boys reminded me there was a game on the weekend. I'd completely forgot about it. Well, we I'd, do I'd talk about on. it every week, I'd, in fairness, mate, don't we? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd swallowed my pride. I'd moved on, forgot about it. And uh, yeah, now you've reminded me. Yeah, we haven't. It's, well, it, it's bringing all the emotions back. Let's get, re- get ready to relive it all over again, mate. That's all <laughs> I'll say, because we will talk about it later. Obviously, got in for, we will touch on it later, mate. But I mean, it's... It's just about getting on with next season now, and it, like you said, just just building on from it. Yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on it, but the retained and release list has just been announced, and it's looking like a pretty set squad for next year. So let's see what happens in the summer. It's a lovely tease, that Ben. It yeah. really is. Uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> we'll get into Wickham's afternoon at Wembley in more detail later on in the show. But of course, there's plenty to come in the meantime, and as always, we want to hear from you. To get in touch, you can tweet us at River Radio Live or send us an email to studio at river dot radio. That's studio at river dot radio. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on tonight's topics, which of course begin with the climax to the Premier League season. Indeed, Sunday saw the conclusion of a range of narratives and we'll start at the bottom, where Burnley's six-year stay in the top flight of English football came to an end. A thrilling win for Everton against Crystal Palace last Thursday meant the Clarets were in the last-day survival race with Leeds United. But a vastly superior goal difference meant they only needed to match their rival's result to secure safety. However, a 2-1 defeat at home to Newcastle, coupled with a late win for Jesse Marsh's lead side, saw them leapfrog by the Yorkshire club, sending them back down to the Championship and making a sad day at Turf Moor. I caught up with Club 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 Club. There we go. I got. I nearly got through it, didn't I? Yeah, not far off. No. Club commentator <laughs> Andy Hodgson. Uh, he started out by giving me his reflections on the day. Will, you're a salty old dog, and I can't believe you brought it up. I was trying to be in denial for the next year, but it's impossible. So here's the way it goes. I take a five-hour train journey to get to Burnley, thinking that if I go, the chances are I'm a lucky charm, it'll be all right. Because every time I go with my lucky yellow jacket on, we've only lost once, right? So this is a banker. I get there, the stadium's absolutely rocking. It is like I've never heard turf more before, and I'm thinking, this is on. The players know they're playing for contracts. There was ten of them out of contract on the last day of the season surely they've got to get this right and for the first half suddenly we're two goals down and you go oh my god nothing worse than this can surely happen and then at Brentford Brentford go down to nine men and we're like oh my god and then Leeds score two oh no my god anyway so we get one goal back and I'm thinking right Corne scored all we need is another and for Brentford to oh no hang on they've only got nine men oh no so the last ten minutes were just an absolute nightmare we were literally screaming at the team to will them on because in essence in the last ten minutes we needed another two goals at least to give us a vague chance but it was all over uh, and it wasn't all down the last match the whole season you know we've got relegated based really on one game if we'd won one more game against Norwich or against Watford at home or then we'd have still been in the Premier League so it goes across the whole season and I suppose that's fair enough that is relegation it is I mean that, that Norwich game certainly is one that, that you, you would be able to look back on isn't it because obviously that was a game everyone expected you to win and it didn't really unfold like that did it when Everton of course beat Manchester United on the same weekend I mean is it hard to take after it looked like you might have clawed yourself out of it a little bit under under Mike Jackson and everything and, and Ben Mee doing such a good job it looked on the face of it certainly from an outside perspective that you might have done enough so to end up actually going down does, that, does it make it a little bit harder to take I mean, it's such a roller coaster all the way along, to be honest. And, you know, could we claw ourselves out of it? At Christmas, lots of Burnley fans had written us off and said, that's it, we're done. Uh, we suddenly then have a run of seven points in seven games and you think, hello, the beast has woken up here and then we start losing again. And then we have another run where uh, Jacko comes in and, and suddenly it's all starting to happen. To give ourselves a chance on the last day was amazing. And in fact, I spoke to um, England goalkeeper Nick Pope uh, yesterday and he was saying to have got to the last day from where we were is frankly stunning and amazing. And we did brilliant to get that far. It just wasn't to be. But he was obviously in the same place, shaking his head, thinking, oh, my God, if we can't put a, a string of, of wins together, you know, we're not going to do it. And we didn't do it. So... I'm not surprised really because I couldn't toss a coin every week and guarantee it was going to land on a win. It was always, we could get battered, but we might win. We can be fantastic, but then we're woeful. 
and that's not good enough form. And when you lose to the bottom teams as well, you're kind of guaranteed to be uh, there or thereabouts in the relegation zone and become lower league. Does it seem now a mistake to have sacked Sean Dyche, or do you think things would have panned out the same, or or perhaps even worse if he'd stayed in charge? Well, I don't know. I think there's, there's always two sides to every story, and, and what the fans see will be Sean Dyche's side because he's got the platform to talk about it, and the chairman's side, unless he comes out and says, so here are the personal circumstances of what the relationship was and what I thought. Unless he comes out and says that, you don't get the other side. So it's really hard, and I think football is like any other business in that you get a new guy in at the helm, he wants to do it his way, and in his way, you've got a manager who's a legend and he's the club, and he's built the club up from scratch, and every position practically radiates in his shadow. Therefore, it is difficult to buy a club, own a club, and run it how you want to run it when someone else is you know, the dominant force. So it was always going to come to blows, I suspect. He'd had a massive long run as well. And so I suspect at one point uh, that is going to come to an end. Now, to give yourself a fair chance of staying up, you toss the coin at one point and you say, look, if we go down, I'm going to be criticised. Let's give it a chance. And frankly, the chairman nearly did it. You know, we get to the last day, the team does pick up, even with Mike Jackson in charge, not with a glorious sort of saviour of uh, football clubs coming in uh, to managers temporarily. And so he nearly did it, in fairness. It's tricky to say it was the wrong decision, but then we did go down, so certainly half of the fans will say it was. There you go, Burnley fan Andy Hodgson there, giving us an insight into what would have been a really difficult day at Turf Moor. Of course, for him commentating on it as well, can't have been easy. Ed, you, you made it quite clear last week that you wanted to see Burnley stay in the division. Um, why was that, and what do you think the league has lost with them going down? Maybe I'm a bit of a, a traditionalist here, but I quite like seeing the Premier League have lots of different styles of football. And, and for as long as I can remember, really, there has been a team who have been maybe a bit more direct, a bit more long ball, a bit more physical. And for me, if you can get results playing that way, then there's a place for that in a 20-team league. Um, and you go back to you know Wimbledon back in the day, but also more recently, Bolton under Sam Allardyce were quite direct, Stoke under Tony Pulis. Mm. That style of football kind of got results. And I, and I think it's, it's good to have one team in the league who, who plays that way. And in a sense, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a dying way of playing. You know, when... when Sheffield United came up under Chris Wilder. They they played quite a physical, direct style of football as well that was a little bit different. And there was a place for it while it gets results. And in a sense, I suppose, by virtue of the fact that Burnley have, have gone down, as Andy said there, you know, over the course of a season, they've not got the results. And so maybe it is time for a change. But I always think if there's only kind of one specific style of playing or, or kind of everyone's sort of trying to do the same thing actually it becomes a less interesting league and and I certainly used to enjoy it when when Bolton would go and get you know and do <laughs> Arsenal over or, or whatever or Stoke would get a result you didn't expect to um, I always just think there's a place for different styles in the league and I think playing long ball and being more direct is a is a bit of a, a bit of a dying art really and, yeah. and I think it's a shame that they've gone and as I said if I'm totally honest with you wanting Burnley to stay up isn't because I like Burnley so much necessarily um, I quite wanted to see Everton who've been run quite badly for quite a long time perhaps you know get the comeuppance that you maybe deserve yeah. over over a period of time. Equally, we can get into this another time. I'm not a big fan of the word deserve in football either. That's for another time. But look, Burnley have gone um, and it'll be interesting to see how they fare in a, in a division they've not been in for six years that has become very, very competitive. I mean, I, I did have a look at, I did see the table and the, the 24 teams that are going to be in it, in it next season. It's the most championship championship <laughs> ever, isn't it? 
Really? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's almost every team just looks like they belong in the championship there. They really do. No promotion. No, no, like a franchise. Yeah, yeah, no promotion, exactly. no yeah. relegation. We'll keep you as you, <laughs> you are. Wouldn't, you wouldn't have it any other way. No, of course you wouldn't. <laughs> it's a great league. Wouldn't. No, we'll, well, we'll go through them shortly. But, um, but regardless, what I was going to say is that obviously t- touching on that starts a bit like when Sam Allardyce, when he was West Ham manager, beat Chelsea. And Jose Mourinho called him like a footballing dinosaur or something, didn't he? And he famously laughed and said, we out-tactic them and they couldn't mm. take it. So I, I know exactly what you're saying with that. Do, do you think they're going to be a big miss from the Premier League, Ben? Or, or do you think it's every dog has its day? That was their time, but it's up now. Yeah, someone will take their place. There'll be a team next season that goes a bit more direct. I think what really football has been robbed of uh, with Wickham not going up is... is the Burnley Wickham Wanderers we'll there, next mate. season. Yeah. What a game that would have been, eh? The Route One Derby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the Route One Derby. I, I just think you look at Burnley. I do worry for them a bit, though. Going down, we know there's some problems off the pitch financially. Some of those players could be out the door. Obviously, Nick Pope's going to get snapped up by a Premier League side. Corne could be out out the door. Even Veghorst might look to go back abroad. You never know. What I've heard is that they're at great risk off the pitch. I don't know if you guys have seen the the stories circulating, but there's a lot of problems financially, um, a lot of issues with the new ownership. And yeah, I think it's a worrying time for Burnley fans. Well, I mean, with all due respect, and they were punching above their weight, certainly financially, weren't they? Mm. I think it's fair to say there were a lot of teams always consistently spending a lot more money. I mean, you even look at the Chris Wood deal, for example, 20 million for that. Yes, we we raved about Veghorst and replacement. Who I don't actually think did an awful job, but even then he cost a fraction of the price, and I, I doubt that ten million was then reinvested in the team ahead of it. If you know what I mean, so it's, it's no secret that they're they're not the most sort of financially, um, you know, sta- not staples the wrong word, but you know they're, they're not going to splash the cash like many others. I mean, as Ben mentioned, Ed, the championship's notoriously hard to get out of, isn't it? I mean, we, we've seen. I mean, unless you're Norwich or Watford, essentially. <laughs> but I mean, do you think this is going to be a bit of a reality check? They could be struggling next season. We saw West Brom go down. They, they thought they appointed a great manager. They've struggled this season. Could you see something similar unfolding? I wouldn't be surprised because who you appoint and how they're going to gel with a group of players who've been playing a certain way and have been built, as Andy said, very much in Sean Dyche's own image, that group. you know. So I'm slightly surprised at, at who we're hearing might well be taking the job. Vincent Company seems to have emerged as a possible Huge favourite. Huge favourite now, yeah. And, mm. and realistically, did Vincent Company ever play the, the style of football that, that Sean Dyche did and that that squad will be used to playing and has been built to play? Because changing a playing style takes a, a lot of time um, and it really does depend on how quickly someone can adapt, particularly somebody who's not been in the championship before. And I know it's such a tried and tested and tired name in a way, but someone like Tony Pulis would have been an obvious person to come in and, and maybe get a little bit more. Screams a big the sound, same, but, The same but different, if you like. But essentially, you can't just suddenly go, right, that way of playing, we're not doing that anymore. When you've got an entire squad that's been built that way, I think it could be very difficult for them. One thing they won't struggle with, perhaps in the same way a team like Everton might have done, had they gone down, is that players won't be cheated or players won't necessarily all be heading out the door at the no. same time. I think you take a club like Everton, and I think a lot of places would look at Everton's squad list and go, individually, I wouldn't mind having one of these players yeah. in my team. And I think a lot of clubs might have done that. And a lot of players would have been saying, hang on a minute, this wasn't what I signed up for. Mm. But also, you had to ask whether or not they would have even had relegation clauses in their contracts. In Burnley's case, I imagine they were always aware it might be a thing. But yeah, Nick Pope will probably move on. I would imagine Tarkowski's being linked potentially yeah. with a move. But I yeah. think there'll be a core group of players there who probably will stick around. You know, grizzled pros who who are willing to kind of do the dirty work as it were and, and the, the 
nucleus of the team will still stay there. But I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them struggle, just as I wouldn't be surprised to potentially see them back in, in the playoffs. But I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see them back in the Premier League at the first time of asking. No, I mean, just to, just to sort of substance, add some stub, uh, substance to the company rumours, Fabrizio Romano a few hours ago tweeted that Burnley are close to appointing Vincent Company. Talks have been underway in secret for weeks. He's going to leave Andalek soon. Um, and the, the, the positives around the deal still seem to be fairly good. So, I mean, I mean Ben, very quickly before we move on, a good appointment or, or a bit of a bizarre one? Well, well it's, a, it's a bizarre one, isn't it? You know, if you had to pick any manager to take on the Burnley job, you'd pick Gareth Ainsworth. He'd be, he'd be the ideal candidate, wouldn't he? <laughs> that crossed my mind. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's a bizarre one. He, you know, Andelect, you know, what, what is he? He's not been there for long. He he's not really set the world like there. He, he's only been retired a couple of years. I, I think it's a massive risk. Like Ed said, if they're going to go in and change the style of play, there's a whole group of players there that are suited to playing a completely different style. And when when those when that happens, when you have a manager that wants to play one way, a set of players that that don't want to play that way or can't. That's a recipe for disaster for me. So, yeah, um, yeah the, the jury's very much out on Vincent Company. <laughs> Company and Lampard, yeah. It's your two, <laughs> isn't it, mate? I mean, it certainly is going to make for a fascinating uh, sort of viewing what, what happens at Burnley over, you know, in their course of the Championship. Uh, moving into the top half, the race for fourth also went right up to the final day. Not perhaps in the conventional sense, as Tottenham, as a Tottenham loss to Norwich always looked unlikely. There were rumours of another lasagna gate. It didn't quite come to fruition, did it? Um, and it was Arsenal that needed something if they were going to to make a return to the Champions League. A quick word on that, gents. Antonio Conte's obviously done a great job getting Spurs into the top four, given the start they had. How will Arsenal reflect, though, on the season, given it was theirs to lose with just two times, two games to go? I think I think it will go down as being one of the, the biggest missed open goals that they've realistically had. And I think Mikel Arteta will be really disappointed. I think Arsenal fans will be very disappointed. And, and for me publicly it'll probably be a case of well you know if you'd said to us European football at the start of the season we'd have taken it but actually in principle when you get to a point whereby the Champions League is on the table and you don't get that over the line I think privately there'll be a lot of disappointment around that Arsenal squad and I think it will set them back as I think I said last week for for quite some time to come and that's always the case for me I think you've always got to you can't just sit there and say what you'd have taken at the start of the season you've got to look at what opportunity was on the table and uh, yeah this this for me could set Arsenal back years I was uh, there's a big difference isn't there with it with a team that maybe at the start of the season would have taken Europa League and ended up having a chance for the Champions League compared to a team that were fighting to stay up and end up winning the Premier League there's a massive difference and I I just think yes okay they had a poor start to the season but but when you get yourself within three games of Champions League football it's in your hands even after losing to Spurs they go to Newcastle they know they've got to get a result it's going to be incredibly hard now to recruit over the summer. They've got, they've got four teams ahead of them, five teams ahead of them now. They've got more money. They've, they've got the attraction of Champions League football. It's a young squad. We said they needed investment as well. Some some older, maybe more experienced heads. It's going to be tough now for Arsenal. Like I think Ed mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he it could set them back two or three years. I, I agree. You know, it's, it's going to take a long time now for yeah. them to, to get another opportunity like that. If yeah. you look at who they're going to compete with for Europe, Newcastle are going to consider yeah. themselves to be in that yeah. boat next season. West Ham and, and Aston Villa will will certainly want to kind of be getting up towards that echelon. Wolves certainly aren't out of the conversation. You can't rely on Manchester United having a season like they've had this year no. under Ten Hag again, plus the four teams who did finish ahead of you. Oh. It's going to be very difficult. Yeah. Very, very difficult. It is. I mean, that's t- signings-wise, obviously, that it's very much talent, isn't it? They can sign Yuri Tillemans from Leicester for £25 million. He wants some sort of European football again next year, and it'd be a great signing, but you want to see telling me if Spurs come knocking for the same thing, he, he wouldn't rather play in the Champions League, and this, this therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Uh, we will 
move on, though, to the headline event of Sunday, which was without a doubt the Premier League title race, as Liverpool and Manchester City took it to the very last day. It looked like a formality, but it's never quite the case with the Premier League, is it? Manchester City went into their game with Aston Villa a point ahead of their title rivals, but looked to have thrown the advantage away when Steven Gerrard's side took a two-goal lead, to, at which point I messaged our group chat and said, you all laughed at me. Um, <laughs> and, and now you can continue to laugh at me, because you were right over, after all. But regardless, um, Liverpool, meanwhile, overcame an early setback at home to Wolves um, to lead 2-1 and ultimately 3-1 but it wasn't enough as City staged a remarkable fight back scoring three goals in five second half minutes to overcome Villa and lift the Premier League trophy for the fourth time in five years absolutely staggering I spoke to City fan TV pundit Ray Bubbles who described his experience at the Etihad on Sunday don't really want to relive the first about 70 minutes because quite frankly I think we were rubbish we were very nervous you could see, obviously, it meant a lot. The players knew that they obviously they had to probably win the game. I don't think they probably knew that Liverpool had gone behind um, so early against Wolves and just focus on this game. But, you know, straight passes, not really playing our usual commanding uh, possession-based football. And then Villa scored those two goals. And so some people left when it was 2-0 because you just thought it's typical City. You know, we've been the best team pretty much all season. We wobbled a little bit now and uh, we'd lost against Madrid and surely we can't do this. And then when the first goal went in, the atmosphere changed, the crowd changed, you know, the, the mood, singing came back, the cheering and the second goal went in and we were just we were on the crest of a wave. I mean, honestly, people were throwing themselves around in the stands. Drinks went flying and the, when that third goal went, it was one of those experiences that I had to remember anything like that. You know, then we, when we were messing about in the corner for the last two or three minutes and just waiting for the referee to blow his final whistle. It was just within a few minutes you'd gone from being on the floor to being as high as you could be. It was crazy. I mean, it, it wasn't quite Aguero, but it wasn't far from it, was it? I think, I think that's the uh, that's yeah. the big thing, which which is obviously to come from two goals down, obviously incredible. Yet another Premier League title for Manchester City. I mean, where does this team rank for you? Because the spirit to come back from 2-0 down like they did, it, it can't be underwritten, can it? Oh, no. I mean, it's an immense performance, what we've done this season. Another season with well over 90 points, I think it was 93 in the end. I think we should have got a little bit more than that. Towards the end of the season, we've thrown a few points away. Our teams have come and done a number on us where we just haven't got the handle of them. I don't think it's as good as the teams back in 2017-18 when we got 100 points and the following season where we won uh, all the domestic trophies, pit Liverpool by a point because that, you know, that took a lot of strength to go... Was it 14 games at the end of the season, winning every single one, knowing you had to to beat Liverpool? This this season's taken courage and strength as well to get to where we are. But here's a funny thing. If Liverpool had won uh, and we'd lost against Villa, let's say, at the weekend, and Liverpool had won all domestic trophies and then they'd beaten Real Madrid, Liverpool fans and probably a lot of other pundits and fans would be saying they are the best team ever. They would have been the best team ever because they'd, they'd have won a clean sweep of everything. So City have prevented them doing that. So maybe we might go around saying, we're the best team ever. I like it. The quadruple deniers almost, aren't you? I suppose you Absolutely. could start calling yourself. So, I mean, I've j- just touching on that, obviously, stopping Liverpool winning that quadruple. They are potentially on course, obviously, to win the three other trophies, the, the FA Cup and League Cup, obviously secured, despite actually not winning in either of those finals <laughs> and it goes to penalties. I mean, even though you won the league, I know we spoke before and you said the league is your bread and butter. That's what you train yeah. day in, day out for. But is it still fair to market as a successful season or is it a little bit underwhelming only winning one trophy, which sounds crazy in itself to say? 
say, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I was going to put you in your place, eh? Only winning one trophy. It's not a bad season. I mean, if we'd won just the League Cup, we'd still be happy. You know, you got you got to keep your feet on the ground. You can't be you can't get ahead of yourself and say, you know, we are entitled to, to win trophies. You know, we're not we we don't play in red. We play in blue. But we've done it in dramatic fashion, uh, and I think this is going to top uh, whatever Liverpool can achieve this season. I, I mean, I'm not going to say they. They've done badly. They've, you know, they pushed us all the way in the league. And if they do win three trophies, uh, you know, obviously they're an excellent side. But we're just that little bit better. Just to finish, Ray, I mean, the, the idea that Erling Haaland's coming into that team that already scores so many goals next season, it's, it's a lot to be excited about, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely. He's world superstar. It's fantastic. You know, a world superstar is coming to the Premier League, obviously. I'm even more pleased that he's coming to, to Manchester City. Um, you know, I think he scored 99 league goals this season and people are expecting him to score 50 goals next season. I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to take him time to acclimatise. You know, even though he's, you know, he's a world-class player, it takes everybody a little bit of time to get used to the Premier League, to get used to playing for City. We're going to have to change our style a little bit as well uh, to accommodate him and he's going to have to change his style to fit in with us. So it's just going to be a fantastic summer uh, waiting for next season to start just thinking and drooling, drooling over the fact that, you know, he, he's coming, it's going to be Jack Grealish's second season, so he'll be a little bit more into the city way. So it's just so much to look forward to, and I just think Haaland is just going to be awesome, and uh, hopefully we can win again next season. Certainly, mate. Well, enjoy the summer for now anyway, and I hope that heart rate has come down a bit from, from <laughs> Sunday as well. Pleasure talking to you as always, mate. Thank no you. No problem. Cheers, mate. There you go, really interested to get Ray's reflections there. And there's a few big talking points in what he said. Obviously, apart from him trying to take my head off when I suggested that it might not be a successful season. Uh, always great to chat with him, though. Um, I'll start with one of them. Are City a better side than Liverpool? And does denying them the quadruple confirm that? Because I wasn't sure when I heard it, but I wasn't going to pick it up with him. So. Um, you know what? That's just that's a question you could, you could debate until the cows come home, isn't it? To be mm. totally honest with you. I, I don't think that denying Liverpool the quadruple automatically makes them a better side because if you look at their performance across competitions obviously this was the season where they came unstuck in the league cup a trophy they'd not lost uh, a game in for about four years uh the fa cup they kind of went out with a bit of a whimper didn't they against Mm. liverpool um and the champions league as well you have to query the way in which they they lost that game to to real madrid to get knocked out so you know it's not it's never that clear cut because by the same token the time that wigan knocked manchester city out of the fa cup they're a better team than manchester City. i was was gonna say that the the, the, the year they won all three domestic trophies i think they were knocked out the champions league by leon does that make Leon better than Manchester City? It's a bit of a flawed argument, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Because that stopped the quadruple that year. So, in in similar way, what do, what do you reckon, Ben? Is that a bit of a, a well? I was, I was I was looking at it like it's like two boxers, right? That are the best in the division, but they haven't fought each other yet. And everyone thinks, no, he's better. Than he's better. You don't know until they actually fight. And and for me, Liverpool, when they play Manchester City, are the better team one on one. But Manchester City seems to be more consistent. We've got an email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't like that. <laughs> Disagree, didn't he? But for, for, for me... It's Phil from Buffer. He says, yeah. boost you reach without breaking the bank. I'm not sure that was meant for us. No, but not unless it was, yeah. <laughs> but for me, again, against any other side, City are probably the better team in the league. Mm. But if you put them against one-on-one, the way that Liverpool play they're probably the more effective side against Man City. So I don't think you can really sit here and say either side's better than the other. Let's just appreciate the fact that there's two incredible teams at the same time. I mean, it's, the, it's the Messi and Ronaldo debate. Yeah, it? It, it kind of is that. Yeah. There are times you just got to sit back and go, you know what, to have, to, to have somebody even competing with Manchester City 
the way that Liverpool are makes for better football in this yeah, country. Yeah. And the reason for that, because if you don't have that, then you have the dynamic you've got in Scotland. Yeah. And, and or, or Germany and that's quite boring yeah yeah I mean even La Liga again now now Barcelona sort of rising from there is I mean it's interesting that you, that you say that though because I, I remember particularly the Champions League game between the two and Liverpool were just complete I, I, I don't think City have the ability to dominate Liverpool no but I think Liverpool have the ability to dominate City that's yeah, the only that's, thing that's I will I say it. about it I think that's that's the, the best way I can put it um, that the sort of <laughs> without you know, you know, without getting splinters in my backside, so to speak. Um, I mean, he said it was far from a disappointed season, despite the club only winning one trophy. Ben, do you agree with that, or you can't win the Premier League and say it's a disappointing season it, with the resources? It, though. Yeah, it could have been better, yes, but I wouldn't. I couldn't sit here and say that it's been a disappointing season. You've won the Premier League, and, and that's arguably it's your bread and butter, isn't it? It's your bread and butter. It's the one that City fans want to win. That you know, I, I can't sit here and say it's disappointing. It could have been better, but will the players be happy with winning the Premier League? Of course they will. Mm. Would they like to have won the Champions League and maybe a cup? Yes, but it's not like they're they're finishing the season empty-handed. If if they'd ended the season without a single trophy, yeah, you could sit here and say, how on earth have a team like Manchester City not won a title, not won a league or a, or a cup? But the fact they've won the Premier League, I think, it, it is still a successful season. I think it's all relative, isn't it? It's a good season because you you win the Premier League and the way that you win it as well. You know that's a great way to win the Premier League if you are to win it. It's a horrible way to lose it. Equally if they'd won the Premier League seven weeks in advance that's a great season but I think if you take everything into consideration the way they went out of the Champions League having had the advantage the way they kind of went out to Liverpool in the semi-final of the FA Cup with a bit of a whimper the West error Ham on from, Zach, Sarah, well, from yeah. Zach Steffen going out to West Ham on, on penalties in the League Cup and so on and so forth I think you know when you widen your gaze beyond the Premier League you'd look at it and go yeah arguably you'd wanted more you've spent 100 million on Jack Grealish and, and so on and so forth you've got this fantastic squad but at the same time you know your purists at City might argue well, we did it without a striker and now we've got one it's early yeah. Harlan yeah. now come and now come and see what, what you're dealing with and see what happens next yeah. season so I think it's always relative but the history books will state that Manchester City won the Premier League and, and that season's done and dusted and, yeah. and the thing about clubs like that is it, it's always a case of look enjoy it for the evening enjoy it for the next few days and then you've got to get up and go again so I don't think they'll they'll think about it unduly but I would be surprised if they'd be satisfied with that next season having signed Erling Haaland as well my only, my only problem with it is I don't think you sign the, de- the amount of depth and the quality of player they have to be happy with just the Premier League you know those they, they, that amount of depth isn't just for the Premier League that's for that's across four competitions that you're expecting to progress in and to not even reach the final of any of the other three for me constitutes not necessarily a successful season that would that would be all I'd argue next season however is going to be frightening isn't it quite <laughs> frankly the idea of Erling Haaland if he hits even a, a you know five percent of the form he's been in for most of his career it's it's a scary scary thought isn't it I mean I, I'll come to you first Ben what what does this mean for the Premier League is that I, it are we, are we the Bundesliga now no I, I just can't wait to see him in the Premier League with a team like Manchester City I mean look what he's done at his last two clubs with mm. with teams that are, have got a fraction of the quality that Man City yeah. have behind him it's going to be a scary proposition now everyone else is going to get better aren't they every team around Manchester City will get better but will they get sufficiently better with an Erling Haaland probably not so look City could run away with it at the same time I'd like to think that Liverpool are going to mount a sufficient challenge everyone else is going to be recruiting but the real challenge for the other teams is how can they bring in someone of an Erling Haaland they, they can't and, and that's going to be the, the crowning jewel isn't he almost uh, yeah and I think that is the case it'll be interesting to see how Pep Guardiola handles 
having Erling Haaland in his team because I think what you've seen with someone like Jack Grealish, who to be fair has cut his teeth in quite a different way to Erling Haaland. Yeah. Erling Haaland's still about 21 and he has that great sort of sense, that vein of arrogance about him as well in the way that he kind of carries himself and everything that you sort of need as a striker. He does have that about yeah. him, kind of almost not quite that same sort of Zlatan view of himself. More Drogba but, almost, but, isn't but yeah, yeah, he? He's you, getting you know, there though. He, knows <laughs> he can play and he knows he can play. But I think, you know, the interesting thing will be whether or not City then are adapt to how he plays because you've got this guy you know can score goals do you adapt the way you play to make sure he is given as many opportunities to score goals as possible or do you get him to adapt to the way you play because it's been so successful or do you try and find a balance in between and Mm. and as um, as Ray said, you know, people don't adapt to the Premier League overnight. Genuinely, and this is one of my footballing confessions, I remember seeing Didier Drogba play in his first season. I had a season ticket at Crystal Palace. Chelsea came, beat us 2-0. Didier Drogba was one of the worst footballers I've ever seen. <laughs> Genuinely, he was... Uh, that, on that particular evening, I thought it was appalling. His touch was off and you're thinking, not sure why everyone was raving about this guy. Obviously, he's going to stand the test of time as one of the best footballers, in fact, the Premier League has ever seen. And one of the best footballers I've ever seen. I just didn't know it yet. And I didn't know it based upon that. Did you think that's anything to do with the fact that he's a big game player and he was playing Crystal Palace? Could be that. that. (laughs) Just a thought. I'll take that. I'll take that, Dig, and (laughs) and move on. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how... City handle having a player who they know can do that stuff because let's be totally honest everyone thought Sergio Aguero was you know the real deal the finished article and Pep came in and went no no this is the way I want to play and either you're going to play like this or you're not going to play full stop and and it did they did manage to get that to work and Mm. and that's Sergio Aguero who had been tried tested and very much was established as one of the best Premier League strikers of his generation at that point so listen like you say I think there's one team that can maybe deal with the fact that City sign Erling Haaland it might well be Liverpool but it'll mm. be fascinating to see how they do that and the Premier League is all about fine margins one point separated City and Liverpool but let's be honest City should have battered Crystal Palace earlier on in the season and had they done that to the tune that they would have done it might have been 2, 3, 4 or whatever and Erling Haaland might well be that fine margin difference, difference the number the number 9 that they haven't had all season and still managed to win the Premier yeah. League so like Ray I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this one hopefully mm. and, and just watch them play out and hope that there is still competition the thing that worries me is you'd literally could just say to him stand on the penalty spot all season long and he'd still get 25 goals you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's that good so certainly we'll be interested to see how that unfolds next season I mean the, the best thing is to see players of this ilk come into the Premier League it's, it's just phenomenal isn't it um, we did we did touch on them now their title rivals Liverpool have little time about to uh, sort of reflect on missing out on the Premier League title so they head to Paris to take on Real Madrid in the Champions League final on Saturday there will of course be disappointment that an unprecedented quadruple won't be realised this season but Ed chatted to River Radio MD and Liverpool fans Sam Setti earlier in the week who reflected on falling a point short of the league champions. It's frustrating that it's the second time now that they've lost by a point. I mean, it could have been even more frustrating if they'd lost on goal difference. You know, So there was a number of things that I think will be frustrating to that team. If they can win the Champions League, I think it will be fine. Three cups will make it a good season. The quadruple, therefore, would be, what, one point away from you know immortality? And my worry with this team is it could become the nearly team in history, right? If it, it lost the 2018 final, it lost the UEFA final... It lost the title to Man City. It's lost the title again to Man City. If it doesn't win the Champions League, um, the danger is it becomes the nearly team. The team that nearly got the quadruple, the team that nearly won the Champions League, and that's never going to go down well in history. 
Well, you're quite right. The Champions League is the next thing on Liverpool's agenda. Would you class yourselves as favourites for that? Or do you think Real Madrid, with their aura, their presence, what they've done to get to the final, perhaps go into it with more to lose? Um, No, I think we have to go into that as favourites. Man City destroyed Real Madrid in both games. How Man City let them score in the 90th minute and and come back is beyond me. But I think you've got an ageing midfield in Tony Cruz and and Modric. You've got Benzema still getting on in time as well. I think Van Dijk will pocket him quite nicely. They've got a couple of outlayers in um, their winger, Junior. I think we should do well. We are a par with Man City as a team in terms of our ability to press and score. I mean, Man City should have been 5-0 in the first leg, right? They should have been out of sight, out of mind. And that's, again, their own fault. Hopefully we can score quickly, score early, score two or three goals. Uh, And yes, I expect Real Madrid to come back at some point, but hopefully it's too far for them to come back. They can't do an Istanbul on us. You reeled off some very big names there. In amongst that ageing squad, and there's no disputing that, they are getting older, is there anyone you do feel Liverpool need to be wary of? My big worry is Casemiro. I think he's going to do a Ramos on one of our players. You know, I think he's going to single out Salah again and try and take him out. This time, though, they, they take out Salah, they've got Diaz. Take out Diaz, they've got Mane. So I don't think this time they can take out the one player. You've got to remember that 2018 Liverpool side was a side that was growing into a team. This team is matured into a team. I just don't think. Our big concern now is we've lost Thiago and we might not have Fabinho. And Van Dijk certainly, even if he's recovered, is going to be a worry because all he has to do is overstretch and he could pop anything again. So we're going into, I think, a battle-worn team, scarred from a long, long season. But we are favourites and we've just got to go and do our best to win. And just finally, given what's at stake, how would you reflect on the season if you were to win the Champions League and therefore notch three trophies in a single campaign, but also if you were to lose it as well? How differently would you look back upon it if that were the case? Well, we've all discussed it. I mean, had we lost both penalty shootouts, right? We could have lost those. So, you know, we could have walked away from the season with zero, right? That That's how close we came to zero. I think the Cup's... No, I mean, look, in, in in a normal season, right, if you win the league or you win the Champions League, they're the two cups. The the FA Cup, sadly, it's, it's um, not as polished as it was. It's nice to win the 150th. It'll go down in history. Um, the League Cup, yeah, so what? I mean, we are the most decorated team in the League Cup, but it doesn't really mean much anymore. Um, no, if we lose the Champions League on Saturday, I think the season will go down as a popped bubble. I, I, you know, the team will be deflated. Win the Champions League, three cups in a season. You can look back and say, wow, what more could we have done? Yeah, one more point. You know, that Spurs game, right? 1-1, 2-1 in that Spurs game. Totally different story. There you go. Liverpool fan Sam Setti there, poetically encapsulating the sliding doors nature of football. And it is just that, isn't it? Which is perhaps why we love it so much. He made quite a few interesting points there, fellas, about how the season would be viewed if Liverpool fell short of the Champions League on Saturday evening. Would it be a disappointment for them, if you think? We're talking a lot. It's a lot of just a disappointment focused show tonight, almost. (laughs) But do you think it would be a disappointment for them, Ed? I think it would. Yes, I think it would. uh, to, To not capture the Premier League by the narrow margin that they that they didn't um, and to then losing the final of the Champions League to a side who I think on paper you would say they, they ought to have the edge on mm. Sam himself said that you know they consider themselves to be favourites and I think and I think they probably are to mm. be totally honest if you if you look at the way in which Man City contrived to, to lose 
you know, uh, and not make it through that game against Real Madrid. And, and you say, well, Liverpool are only a point worse off in the Premier League, the most difficult league in the world than them. Then you would you would nail on Liverpool to probably win this one. That said, this Real Madrid team, if there's one thing they can do, it is bring a surprise. Mm. So it's far from a foregone conclusion. But I think it would be disappointing to come away with only the two domestic trophies and the fact that they didn't win either of those finals outright. Obviously, at the end of the day, the history books will simply say that Liverpool won those trophies. And on the balance of play in certainly the FA Cup final you would say that Liverpool probably deserve to win it over Chelsea um, but yeah I think to not capture either of as Sam said the really big ones the Premier League or the Champions League to have got to the final to have got to within a point would probably you'd look back and, and be a bit a bit disappointed with how that panned out I, I think with the, the last one and how it played out a little bit obviously against Spurs I think a lot of that came down to pedigree didn't it I think Spurs were a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights that night because they'd never been there it was the fear of the unknown and I, I know this sounds silly because the players might not have necessarily been there but I always feel there's an aura around the club in these sort of games whereby you know if, if, if your club's been there before I think that's what's you know sold Manchester City short a few times before do you think that, that there's because there's none of that this time Ben because it's actually a case where Real Madrid are actually more decorated do you think that factors in at all it definitely plays a part I mean I think you bang on with the, the, the Spurs point Spurs were definitely intimidated and probably didn't really show what they were capable of in that final that final they? was in Ajax wasn't it yeah they had such an emotional high in that game it, it just you look at the game I think because of Madrid's history in this competition, because of the way they've got to the final, if you're a Madrid final player, you're thinking it's probably written in the stars. There's two games there you shouldn't have won. <laughs> Let's be honest. They they were they somehow got past Chelsea and then they somehow got past Man City. If you're if you're one of the fans there, you're thinking, well, we're going we're going to do it to Liverpool. We've just done it to the Premier League champions. Why can't we do it to the team that finished second? So it's going to be an incredibly hard game. I would have Liverpool as the favourites for me. But in a one-off game, Madrid have got more than enough quality to get a goal or two and, and spring a surprise. More than enough. Well, no one would have had them getting past either Paris Saint-Germain or, or Manchester PSG City. As well, do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's and and the way they've done that as well. I think you know they they don't know when they're dead today. That's the thing about PSG. They they just don't. They have no. They have a complete refusal to accept defeat. And I think that's that's going to play a huge part against a team that don't necessarily go and win by the. the massive margins comprehensively do they then they normally will win a game 2-0 3-0 and that's certainly a scoreline Real Madrid will consistently feel like they can come back from as well uh, Mohamed Salah obviously he got injured early in the in the last in the last one they lost to Madrid in Kiev of course I mean if he, he said he's staying I mean where do you think they need to add in order to close the gap to Manchester City I mean it stood at a single point but it was really over the course of the season probably a little bit more than that wasn't it what, what do they need to do especially like we mentioned with Erling Haaland coming back in well, the problem Liverpool are always going to have is that they just can't compete when it comes to squad depth they're, they're trying to get there but it does take time it, it may not happen in this window it could be another year down the line and by then Manchester City could be even further away than they are now I think the issue is how do you you've got to get the right players in but they've also got to be good enough to start in your team whilst not upsetting the status quo you know Firmino seems to be slightly pushed out but he still seems like he's very motivated to play for Liverpool because he knows that he's going to get an opportunity how how would Mohamed Salah feel if Liverpool spent 120 million on a player and he was suddenly finding himself maybe not the star man but would he be happy with that this is the problem that they need players of Salah's quality to come in but you don't want to upset 
the current starting eleven. I mean, Sadio Mane notoriously has been has shown his frustration coming off Mane as well in, in times, hasn't he? I mean, it, it, how, how do you feel about that? Ed? Do you think that's that's a fair assessment that ultimately there, there's just more of a, an accepted rotation at Manchester City than there perhaps would be at Liverpool? Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, I think there is uh, another thing to consider is is you take someone like Shimikas, for example. Mm. You didn't see him for the entirety of the first season, but when he was called upon in the second season, right at the very start, it was as if he'd been at Liverpool for years. The and Greek I think there was there were certain areas of well he scored the penalty yeah. didn't he, to win in the FA Cup final and, and you know, it was a great moment for him and in a sense it was a deserved moment because he has been a bit part player but he clearly feels a part of the squad and that's down to the man management of Jurgen Klopp as much as anything and clearly that the team spirit that they have there but there are certain areas I think they can fairly instantaneously improve with single purchases you know if you look at Schumacher on the right hand side I don't know who who does take the the spot from from Trent Alexander-Arnold if he you know if he needs a rest you put Joe Gomez in there but he's not as dynamic and he doesn't play in the same right back by trainers exactly so therein lies the thing I think you could potentially make a purchase there and and, you know Trent Alexander-Arnold is likely to play the majority of games but if someone could come in and do on the right hand side what Schumacher has done on the left I think that that would be positive for Liverpool I also think you know you look at James Milner and and Jordan Henderson and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain these aren't necessarily world, world, world-class players, um, but Jordan Henderson's a terrific leader. That said, I think, you know, maybe they could improve in the midfield area. I think Naby Keita's all right, but by Liverpool's not standards, the world light, I he? don't think necessarily it's it's worked in the way they would have really liked it to. You know, the loss of Genie Wijnaldum was, was quite a big loss, to be totally honest with you, and I don't think that's a void necessarily that uh, Naby Keita has filled. So I think perhaps in the midfield area, they might look for another body to, to really mean that the rotation is... Is oh. like for like in terms of overall quality players play in different ways in terms of the forward line I think they're looking pretty good and the way that Jota kind of came in and, and really held his yeah. own when Salah and Mane were off at the African Cup of Nations was absolutely extraordinary and then of course adding Luis Diaz as well was was another a, another great acquisition for in fiscal terms today not that much relative to some of the fees oh. that are being banded around for other players um, so yeah I think there's a couple of areas where they look at it and go you know what we could probably bring someone in maybe in this window who bolsters our quality but realistically I think it's very much as Ben said it does take time to be able to get the squad depth that you need and that Manchester City have got but ultimately the draw there is is playing for Pep Guardiola isn't it and mm. I think there's a big and increasingly big draw for playing it for Jurgen Klopp at, at Liverpool but someone like Divock Origi for example has never let Liverpool down but has never got a look in either and no. you know it's a very distinct type of personality who's willing to come into a club and effectively sacrifice their playing time for the sake of being something involved in something bigger than themselves so that it's difficult it's difficult to to bring in players to a squad of that nature I mean it is, it is sensational some some of the impact the players have made like you said perhaps for no for not so much money Jota like you mentioned some you know sort of you know considered as better than Figo don't you know I think some some people have said so yeah <laughs> so, so certainly very interesting I mean well, just before we do move on to Wickham um, away from the top flight eyes are also on who could join England's elite next season Huddersfield and Nottingham Forest set to co- contest this season's championship playoff final on Sunday uh, dubbed the richest game in football due to the financial windfall for the winners the stake stakes could scarcely be higher ahead of the football league showpiece um, we're not, not going to spend too much time on this purely based on time I mean there's there, there were obviously some very excited Forest fans out there Ben how big is this for them because it's almost been 25 years since they were last in the Premier League and they are a big club aren't they 
Yeah, it's, it's probably their biggest game in this 25-year period, isn't it? They, to come from where they've come from, you know, Steve Cooper coming in, what were they, bottom of the table in the, in the bottom hadn't, three? Hadn't won in seven games, their worst start to a season in 106 it, years. It's an incredible turnaround, but now they're here. And it's, it's funny, we, we spoke at the start of the show about, you know, you take it at the start of the season. And I'm sure Forest fans would have taken mid-table at the start of the season. But now they're here and the season they've had, they won't accept anything less than a win on the weekend. And, and I think this is Forest moment for me as a, as a neutral watching them over the course of the season it's their moment they need to go and grab it is it going to be easier next year no it's going to be harder so they have to take the chance while it's there it's almost on a plate for them in my opinion it's almost on a plate for them to go and have this moment at Wembley and finally get back to the Premier League, which where they should be, by the way. Mm. I mean, they, they were obviously, of course, quite unlucky to miss out on automatic promotion. I mean, that game against Bournemouth, they, they were probably quite unlucky not to win in the first place, which ultimately would have probably catapulted them into that top two had they had they bettered their result on the final day. I mean, we, we, Ben just touched on it. Steve Cooper's done such a remarkable job there, hasn't he? I mean, t- does a Premier League job beckon for him at some point, whether it's Forest or elsewhere, do you think? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I'd be very surprised to not see him in the Premier League at some stage. Did you say he with Forrest as a result of this upcoming game or potentially getting poached from somewhere else he's the sort of person who if Graham Potter were to move on from Brighton I think that's someone they'd look at and go yeah let's let's maybe go with him you know he's won the, the under 17 World Cup which is completely different from senior football Absolutely. Might have, but the job he did with Swansea where they did fall at that hurdle and I'd be very surprised if he's not learned from that mm. from that experience and, and they were beaten fairly resoundingly by Brentford I would yeah. say on the day to be yeah. totally honest I didn't really feel they, they laid a glove on them in that particular game I was at that one and it, it was a strange atmosphere it, it never felt like Swansea were particularly in it and yet mm. they had all these good players on loan they had Freddie Woman they had Mark Gurhey of course Andre Ayew was still in the team so it made me felt like a bit of a missed opportunity but he'll have learned from that but I think we've also got to lavish some love on, on Carlos Corbran as well over at Huddersfield because to finish 20th in your first season at a club that let's face it who have struggled since they got relegated from the Premier League and, and probably didn't benefit in a way that someone like Burnley might also struggle as well with perhaps being seen as a bit of an unfashionable club I think he's done a fantastic job this a season. A big decision for him to leave Bielsa at Leeds as well of course to join Huddersfield wasn't it so massive massive you know I mean you're talking about someone that Pep Guardiola considers to, to be his his chief influence you know this guy has got a big reputation in football and is regarded widely as one of the best coaches in the world potentially ever so you know that is a, that for Huddersfield, a big, big decision yeah. <laughs> but ultimately he wanted to go and spread his wings and, and has clearly learned from the issues that he had in the previous season and to finish third in the championship is, is a fantastic the year before wasn't it I personally have to declare a little bit of, of bias because I went to university in Nottingham so I'm, I'm going to be rooting for Nottingham <laughs> Forest at, at the weekend no doubt and and yeah they're a big I wouldn't say they're a big club necessarily but they're a big entity they cast a big shadow in English oh, football two, two European what they've cups, done cups two bank. European yeah. Cups Brian Clough Peter Taylor all of that sort of stuff you know they've had some fantastic players over the years mm. and were in the very first Premier League um, so yeah I think it would be good to see them back after a after a long long time away I would welcome that what's bizarre is that everyone I've spoken to wants Forrest to win there is no one <laughs> yeah. that wants I th- and I think it's because Huddersfield have been in more recently I think you're completely right Ben it's their time almost oh, isn't it it's their it's their calling and do you know what and, and it's, it's honestly nothing against Huddersfield at all I don't necessarily think they're you know they're anything against them but it just does feel like Forrest calling it will be very interesting to see how it plays out a great weekend of football in store with the Champions League and Championship Player Final and the League 2 Player Final as well probably the biggest game on Saturday I'd argue <laughs> uh, they, that's of course scheduled but um, it's time for t- to turn our attentions closer to home as we chat Wickham Wanderers Across the Thames Valley One more time Across the Thames Valley This This Is River Radio Well Now for some pop music Try this 
You're listening to Extra Time, the resident football show here on River Radio. And now it's time to turn our attention to the local football in the region and the one side in the Thames Valley that made it past the postseason of the playoffs. Wicked Wanderers, a hard-fought campaign for the Chairboys, went down to the very final day of the season for them to secure a playoff place in a bid to return immediately to England's second flight. And after beating MK Dons 2-1 over two legs to reach Wembley and the playoff final, it proved a step too far for them as they fell to a 2-0 defeat on Saturday afternoon against London. I can see Ben staring into the side of my head so almost burning a hole in there mate I'm sorry to bring this back up for you mate you're of course our chief Wickham man here on the station um, you were both there though Ben sort of as a fan Ed obviously for work what, what did you make of it Ben I'll come to you first did the occasion with sort of so many fans you know in, it there compared to last time when there were none did you think that got to Wickham this time I wouldn't say the occasion got to Wickham. It's an experienced group of players. It, it was an incredible atmosphere, I have to say. My mum actually went um, to the game. She wasn't sat with me, but um, <laughs> she's actually a Spurs fan. But she she was in the Wickham end, and she said it was one of the best atmospheres she's ever been at. You know, Amazing. Sunderland created a hell of a noise, and, and Wickham did their part as well. Ultimately, Sunderland were just a better team. You could tell they had better quality players, younger legs, and on a big pitch like Wembley, when Wickham didn't really get going, didn't get that first goal, it was always going to be hard. And I think that's what you saw is Wickham chasing the game and, and not maybe having the energy to do so. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, sorry, go on, mate. I would, I, would agree with, I would agree with Ben on that one. I, I certainly didn't feel the occasion got to Wickham. Uh, uh, kind of akin to what we were saying about Forrest just now, you sort of sense that after four years, this was just kind of Sunderland's time. time and yeah. they played yeah. that way right from the off. You know, a couple of big chances early on. And, and Wickham, I never felt, got really out of no. about second gear. They, no. were almost, they were almost strangled at birth a little bit by, by the Sunderland performance. And when the goal went in and the way it went in, the first mm. one as well, I think that took the wind out of the sails of, of Wickham because it was... Like, I mean, Alex is Neil. Alex Neil's recorded the playoffs as well. Sort of, you know, bears its own fruit, doesn't it? It's quite incredible. (laughs) It's extraordinary. But I think you know, credit to Alex Neil because what came across to me in terms of the build-up, the coverage is that he has come and taken that Sunderland team and club by the scruff of the neck Mm. a little bit, which is almost what it needed. And he absolutely refused to be drawn on his record in the playoffs. He said that's history; doesn't matter. In the same way that what Sunderland have done in the past in the playoffs, they've not got a very good record in the playoffs as it goes. Doesn't matter. History not interested and made it very very clear that he was only he was only concerned with looking forward and and that is the way that his team played they played on the front foot mm. and again as Ben said I think the youth and the energy really kind of came through and, and Wickham just were a little bit overwhelmed by it I don't think they were overawed by the occasion they just couldn't really get the passes stringing together and that's not really the way they play anyway and with Sunderland being that good and that slick on the ball it, you know it, they only look like being one winner on the day yeah, yeah I mean you touched on it and eyes of course will be on David Stockdale after he made a pretty bad blunder for the first goal we were talking just off air weren't we it looked like in real time you thought it must have taken a deflection for that to have happened it was a pretty flat savable ball I mean you can't really be making those mistakes on that sort of stage can you no but at the same time you know David Stockdale is, is the Golden Glove winner for League One this yeah. year with 17 clean sheets he knows that he should have saved that he doesn't need us to sit here and say you know, you should have saved that shot he knows it but at the same time Wickham didn't create many chances so even though they've conceded the first goal it's not like the chairboys can sit there and say oh we were unlucky in the game no they were resoundingly beaten in the end now mm. conceding that first goal probably did hurt and I did say that Wickham are aside obviously everyone's aside that if you score first you've got a better chance of winning but when it comes to Wickham it really is true if they get the first goal it's a different game completely I mean previewing it last week both the Sunderland family spoke to and yourself said that that first goal yeah. was so crucial and it's such a footballing cliche but I think it rung 
you know especially true for this game because both teams not not that neither can come can come back from the brink in fact both teams have actually built quite a quite a thing of it this season but I think when two teams like that play against each other it's always going to be difficult for, for one team to matter come back you, you, like you mentioned you never really got going the the omission of, of Hanlon was a bit of a bizarre one wasn't it going into it he looked to add a bit of a bit of sort of brightness to the game when he came on is that something that you feel like Ainsworth should have gone from from the start I felt he should have started, but the problem has been that Hanlon's been injured throughout the playoff campaign. My issue was that he wasn't getting more minutes in the in the normal season. I felt he was brilliant at the turn of the year. was was on fire, scored against Oxford, and then and then found himself on the bench. And I think that's maybe cost us in the end not having sort of that dynamic player up front when things aren't working for Vokes. And it wasn't working for Vokes. He wasn't winning any headers against Bailey Wright or, or Danny Bart. Superb, Bailey Wright. Superb. Well, and yeah, I think maybe Hanlon could have come in, but when really when you look at Wickham's bench there wasn't too much else to come on aside from Hannon and Akinfenwa so you know could he have started Hannon maybe but you know who the result could have probably been the same quite selfish of Sunderland to ruin Akinfenwa's swan song like that as well I will say not impressed with that myself, I thought the thing is though we, we make a joke about that but I thought he came over really really well he did yeah absolutely end, and if you're going to go out on a he loss, did actually also he made an impact in the game yeah, yeah, for someone 40 years old do you know what I mean but if you're going to go out on a loss as well there is a way to do it and I think he, he used a little bit of class just Definitely. as he used a little bit of class the way that he, he scored the penalty that took AFC Wimbledon into a higher division knowing full well he was going to be let go at the end of the season and the I mean, interview he that, gave that he's a great character of the game and I think in that regard it'll be a a bit of a loss but I don't think you'll have seen the last of him in, in terms of football media I think you know fingers crossed we can get him on the show sometime because I think he'd be absolutely fantastic Bayo if you're listening mate we'd love to be <laughs> we really would I mean no I mean like, he, he was brilliant and I, he actually came relatively close didn't he and I thought that might have been the fairy tale towards the end it obviously just wasn't to be I mean obviously you, you mentioned we mentioned especially I think it was the Cambridge game Ben um, you know where Wickham played some great football across the season didn't they it's, it's like we, we, we speak about the route one and how that's the way they play but you did have to adapt and end up, ended up playing Wickalona, I think someone called you at some Wickelona. point. Yeah, I'm sure that's Blimey. what someone I think called that's what you. you called I think that might have been me, actually, yeah. the more I think about it. But yeah. regardless, I mean, it, like, like we said, it didn't seem to get going. Do you think that that was, like we said, the, 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 not the occasion, but the, the overwhelmness or actually just such a solid defensive foundation from, from Sunderland? Yeah, maybe the game plan was wrong. Nothing seemed to be working in the middle of the park. And I had said, you know, they, they couldn't seem to string more than two passes together. And even though Wickham likes to go long ball, you need to have the possession of the ball for a sustained period of time to mount that pressure and in the second half there just wasn't that wave of attack of attack we, we didn't really have many chances Sam Vokes had one great chance which when you look on the replay is an incredible save mm. by Patterson the keeper it gets his leg down aside from that Hanlon's gone through should have passed it and scuffs it Sunderland up the other end and score aside from those two chances Wickham didn't really create anything and I mm. think that's probably what's going to be most disappointing is that yes Sunderland were good but Wickham didn't really do themselves justice on the day I can understand not wanting to, to go and, and play if you like conventional beautiful football against Sunderland because often if you come up against a team and effectively try and play them at their own game odds are you'll come off second best I think the problem for Wickham was that what they really needed to do in the circumstances they found themselves in where they were just being overrun by Sunderland. They needed to weather the storm and that yeah. is something that Wickham are really, really good at. We saw it against MK Dons. Yeah, what you can't account for is is unforced errors and those happen and they've happened to better goalkeepers than David Stockdale in bigger games than that. Yeah. And listen, like Ben says, he'll know that he made an error for that one but I would, if I were the manager, I'd be looking around at everyone else and saying, your teammates made an error 
you can either lie down under that or you've got to dig him out of that in the same way that he will do for you when you make a defensive error and he makes a great save, which he's been doing throughout the course of the season. So, you know, unfortunately, there weren't there weren't great chances. There was a fantastic save and I was really impressed with the Sunderland goalkeeper, Patterson, because I thought he was yeah. brilliant for his age as yeah, well. He's absolutely. only come into the team this season. I mean, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, a disappointing one, but we can have got to look to the future now. And I think that is a an interesting an mm. interesting challenge because you've got Blackburn who, who haven't got a manager and have perhaps been linked with Gary. Ainsworth. You've got a squad that's aging as well, and it is a case of whether or not it's a team in transition. Ben, what do, what do you think of that? Yeah, not only Blackburn, you've got QPR as well, and obviously Ainsworth's got his ties with both of those sides. They've always been the two sides I've been most concerned of. Whenever Blackburn or QPR sack their manager, you think, oh, here we go again. <laughs> but, but especially this time, because he, he hasn't necessarily shot down those rumours either he said look I'm going to be open I'm going to talk to these clubs if they want to talk to me I've still got a project that I want to do with Wickham but I'm not going to say no to anything else now would be the time for him to go as well now is the time it's just you look at the team I'd I'd be concerned if he left with the ageing squad players maybe going out the door how can you attract those players without the Ainsworth name? It w- it's a concerning is, time. Definitely. Is there a natural successor to Gareth Ainsworth either, though? There's, there's not really, is there? Maybe Richard Dobson, but but Richard Dobson would surely go with Ainsworth wherever he went. Potentially Matt Bloomfield could step into a managerial role. but It's a risk, isn't but it? It's a risk. We've done it once and it worked before. It doesn't mean it's going to work again. You look across the two leagues. I'm looking at League 1 and 2 here. It's it's hard to pinpoint a manager that could come in and do a Sutton similar. The manager is the only one they don't play particularly expansive football, and he's. It doesn't even have to be someone that plays that long ball yeah. because you look at Wickham; they can they can change it up. Mm. It's just a case of who is going to be that right fit after all this time. That's the problem with having a, a manager in a in a job for so long. It, the yeah. team becomes a reflection of themselves, and so when they move on, the whole team doesn't move on with them. And it is a case of whether or not someone comes in and tweaks little bits, but ultimately plays the same way, or in the in the place where Wickham find themselves arguably a bit of a crossroads if not this this close season then probably next close season in terms of the ages of some of the starting players that you you maybe have to have to look at kind of starting to bring bring the new players through bring a new manager and a new style through uh, it'll be really really interesting to watch that unfold and and doubtless kind of nerve-wracking for you Ben I would imagine yeah it's a, it's a strange time I'm a bit concerned but you know hopefully over the summer we get some some fresh blood in and it puts me at ease a bit yeah well I mean you were Ainsworth you're talking, about, you're talking about Wickham and not in the yeah. studio yeah, right? yeah. 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 he was Ainsworth out at one point of <laughs> season as well but that's a different story of course I'm only joking but gents it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me Nice one. Thank you very much. And yeah, Ben, best of luck. Cheers, Ben.